What's up, everybody? Welcome to Breaking Biotech, everyone's favorite biotech podcast. My name is Matt, and thank you so much for watching or listening today. If you like what I'm doing, please like, subscribe, or leave me a comment, and I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, for those who haven't noticed, I've been gone for quite a while, and uh, I've been actually visiting Toronto, my home and native land, where it is super cold up there and super snowy, so I'm uh, extremely glad to be back in San Diego, where it's beautiful and sunny, and I can talk about uh, biotech and everything that I've missed in the last little while. And there's been a lot. So at Ash, there's definitely been uh, a lot of updates from the companies that I'm invested in and some that I've made calls on. So we'll talk about that. Um, we'll finish up with a portfolio wrap-up and, uh, and leave you to it. So uh, I'm going to be touching on a lot of different companies today rather than a deep dive on any single topic. But uh, I think that's going to be most interesting for, for people out there. So... Uh, let's get into it. So I just I have the XBI up right now, and uh, we closed just under 79. And uh, when I look at it, I see some support, pretty strong support at 74.5. And then I drew this little trend line here showing a support development as we uh, as we sort of build off of that 74. Um, so so we'll see what goes on in the future, but there's definitely a lot of macro events that are keeping the riskier uh, companies. Um, preventing the riskier companies from being invested in. So uh, biotech, you know, high-risk investment. So until we can get a little bit more clarity on whether or not the uh, economy is actually going to go into a recession or not, we'll, uh, we'll probably see a lot of volatility in the, in the sector. So I'm, uh, I haven't sold any, really any of my equity going into this, this downturn, but I do continue to, to trade some options in the XBI when, uh, when we see a relatively uh, high pump up to at least like 85 or so. So they're just small plays. And um, so far, I've been pretty lucky, but uh, I, I keep that investment kind of small because I know that, uh, you know, trading options can be pretty risky. So uh, we'll see what goes on. But the uh, the XBI, I kind of have it up just because um, we've been in this downturn and then we've been going from around like 74 to about 80 something. But one stock in the XBI that's actually remained kind of stable is uh, Fate Therapeutics. So they're a, they're a company that I that I put a lot of a decent amount of my portfolio into um, a few months back, and it's actually increased a lot in value. And I think that's based off of the the news. Obviously, they uh, they recently filed an IND and got success in that IND for FT five hundred, which is their um, their NK product. Uh, and so the the one thing about Faith that's pretty interesting is they're trying to create this off the shelf CAR T uh, product, which is different than the other approved FDA products with CAR-T where you need to actually take the cells out of the, the patient so it's an auto autologous transplantation. What Faith's trying to do is they're trying to make a, a product that they can just thaw or culture and then put into a patient. They don't need to wait that time from actually taking the stem cells out uh, and then or taking the whatever the T cells out, modifying them and then putting them back. Faye wants to actually have these cells ready to go, and they do that by creating these iPSCs, and at that state, they can modify them and remove all of the HLA markers that could cause some sort of host versus, or graft versus host reaction, and then they do the differentiation, and then they're ready to go. So I think that the market is looking at, you know, after ASH, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, some concerns about different gene therapies or, uh, or stem cell-like gene therapies. And, uh, and why they might be a concern. So I think the market kind of sees some interesting things in fate in particular. And the other thing, news that came out about them was their uh, acquisition, or at least their their IP 
um, control over these humanized BCMA uh, car constructs. So this will be really interesting for uh, their future when they try to create some sort of um, off-the-shelf product for, for different B-cell-related uh, cancers. So this is their pipeline, and I think things to look forward to. Uh, I haven't sold any of the Fade stock that I have, and I think that's uh, and I'm not selling it because I think they're going to file more INDs, and if they see positive uh, response from the FDA, they, they could be a buyout contender. So I think the, the combination of that mixed with the IND filings that they're going to do is going to continue to keep them at, uh, at a high level. So uh, I like Fate for that reason, and they've also not sold off very much in, in this uh, downturn that we've seen in the XBI. So around September when it was going down, uh, Fade actually increased quite a bit and, uh, and they've remained around 16, 17 in that area. So I think that's good news for them. Okay, so let's get into a bit uh, of the Ash stuff. So uh, Spark had a small presentation at Ash and it was an update on their SPK uh, 8011. So that's the hemophilia product where they're trying to uh, gene, uh, introduce the factor uh, eight into these patients uh, using a lentiviral vector. And uh, they saw that the first 12 patients um, had re reduction in bleeds and infusion, which is good. And they saw that actually that after 78 months uh, of the transfection, they got stable, they still have stable factor eight activity. So that's good, not a huge uh, change from what we expected. Um, in terms of catalysts, they're going to start a phase three at the end of the year, and we're going to see another update in mid-2019. So they they continue to stay around the 40 range after their um, the last decrease in their in their stock price, and it'll probably stay around then as long as the SPI stays relatively stable. But uh, so this wasn't a huge update at Ash, but one of the the one uh, the one companies that really suffered at Ash was uh, was Bluebird and the. Yeah, so they, they have a bunch of different products um, trying to, to help out with beta thalassemia, with sickle cell disease. They also have some cancer products uh, that actually, the cancer ones looked really good during ASH, um, but the uh, beta thalassemia uh, trial, they had an issue, and I think, I forget which one HGB204 was for, but both of them were lentiglobin uh, products, and the, the real issue, and they showed some good data that showed effectiveness in the treatments, but uh, one out of nine patients in the HGB206 trial uh, showed positivity for a grade four myelodysplastic syndrome with excess blasts. And uh, this is a, a blood cancer that could lead to acute myelogenous leukemia. So it's obviously uh, very concerning for anybody who's going to do some sort of uh, a stem cell or gene therapy thing. So there's concern that uh, the vector may have integrated into these cells that were taken out, and then uh, they they became cancerous through some sort of through some method that's kind of unknown. So uh, Bluebird did do a lot to to see whether or not it was their therapy, and so they looked at their at the after the the diagnosis they looked at. Uh, bone marrow and looked at the CD34 positive cells, which would have been transfected originally, and they looked at CD34 negative cells, and they found very few copy number, very low uh, amount of copy number in the CD34 positive cells, which is, suggests that it's not due to those. 
Um, they didn't see any integration in the displays excels, which is good. No clonal dominance in the transfected cells, suggesting that they they don't have that not one clone uh, had any sort of oncogenic potential that would have dominated and uh, and become uh, cancerous in this patient. So the one thing that they did comment on is this busulfan, which has been used in uh, different autologous stem cell uh, transplants, and it has been associated with MDS. So there's a concern that it could be that. Tough to really know. Uh, I think the uh, the uh, panel that the safety panel looks at it said that it's likely not due to the lentiglobin itself, but obviously for one out of nine patients for this to happen. It's, uh, it's really concerning. There were other uh, grade three or above uh, adverse events, which isn't very encouraging for, for patients who might want, want this therapy. So that's something else that, you know, Bluebird might have to have to deal with and, and change their what they're thinking about when it comes to uh, to this. So the, the other thing that came out regarding their blue their their therapy was that one out of 18 patients had documented HIV 23 months after treatment uh, kind of a weird rare occurrence they again say that it's unlikely related to the lentiglobin but it looks terrible so uh, yeah it's just something that that's gonna hammer the gene therapy companies and hammer any um, yeah stem cell transplant type company that's doing this so uh, Bluebird got hammered for this. They they were below 100 for a while, and uh, I think they they closed around 104 today. So I haven't sold any. My position in Bluebird is relatively small, and uh, you know if we look at the comparison between the different CAR T competitors, or you know I say CAR T, but really they're they're different gene therapy types of gene therapy companies. And uh, so Bluebird still has a market cap of around five billion, and they're they're not really making any money. Uh, comparing them, I guess the other biggest one would be Biomarin, which makes a pretty decent amount of money right now. Um, so Bluebird could fall quite a bit more from 105. There's nothing saying that they should stay at around $5 billion. Their Their products in cancer were very good, and I thought the data was really good on that. So I think they're being held up by, by that. And uh, I think that as they continue, if they show in their future uh, trials that you know nobody gets HIV, and that this MDS was a one-off thing, I think the the sell or the sell-off will be looked at as an overreaction, and uh, and it'll help there. But one, uh, uh, I don't, I forget where I took this, but some firm kind of put it together in in words where how the market kind of reacted to Bluebird, and when we talk about global blood, it'll it'll make more sense. So when it comes to like sickle cell disease, you know, uh, gene therapy has some risks, and these include you know maybe high-grade high MDS, there's loss of fertility, uh, unquantifiable risk of HIV, which, you know, the MDS and the HIV could just be one-off things, so these might be unwarranted. Um, and then, of course, there's 5% risk of mortality. So for those reasons, Bluebird has, has taken the brunt of losses uh, in the last little while in the market, but uh, I do think that long-term gene therapy will prevail. Uh, we're going to see it's going to take a lot of work, and Bluebird has done a lot to, to shift their protocol, uh, at least in certain trials. So they shifted their, their source of cells um, from the bone marrow to, uh, to blood. So that might change things. Uh, we'll see, but I think you know they, they've 
they have a lot of cash and they've donate dedicated a lot of time and effort into this and i think they're going to continue until they can see uh, that it's safe for patients and effective but uh, until then any company that has a, a treatment for the therapies that bluebird's looking into and the you know beta thalassemia or sickle cell disease they're they're obviously going to see a large market share and it's going to take a long time for bluebird to actually reach the market so with that uh, I saw this chart. This is a published paper. I didn't put the actual reference here, but uh, you could find it. There's a, there's a lot of potential treatments out there that are that are competing with the lentiviral treatments that are potentially curative. And uh, uh, one of those is, uh, is uh, Voxelator. And I've talked about Global Blood, and I said that I thought it was ridiculous that they would get accelerated approval given that they didn't show any improvements in vaso-occlusive uh, crises. And of course, I was wrong. So Global Blood, uh, they got, I think in the same day, they, they announced that they got accelerated approval from the FDA, and they're going to meet with them in early Q1 of 2019 to, to figure out their plan for that. So that's great news for them. And this could all be related to the, uh, to the negative data around Bluebird. So the, the FDA probably sees that Global blood is the the best option right now compared to gene therapy. So uh, they they went ahead and gave them accelerated approval. But you know the data actually looks good, and I would have I would say that uh, given what we see here, that this would have changed my opinion. Seeing that they had reduced vasoocclusive crises was really the thing that I thought global blood should demonstrate before they get accelerated approval. But you know hindsight, what are you gonna do? So they, they showed some positive phase three data, 65% of patients on the high dose and 33% uh, showed a greater than one gram per deciliter increase in hemoglobin at 24 weeks, which is very good. These uh, patients were also, some of them were taking hydroxyurea, which is great. So it shows that it's not, uh, it's probably through a different mechanism than hydroxyurea, which makes sense. And uh, they showed the decrease in uh, VOCs. So uh, I think they, they have a lot of potential. I definitely think that they're oversold right now. Um, they they did do an offering a few days ago, uh, which some patients are, or some people are kind of curious about, and I kind of agree, but, you know, given the, the increase in their stock price, you know, a lot of companies, as soon as they see some sort of uh, increase due to some news, they'll, they'll do an offering. And, um, yeah, so I think definitely... Uh, you've seen some price targets from like 70 to around 100. I think it depends on what they, the uh, cost that they're going to make their drug, Voxolator. And uh, this is the patient demo, so 100,000 in the U.S. and 60,000 in the EU. Um, I definitely see a lot of upside for them, and uh, but I wouldn't put like a, I wouldn't put, you know, over 100 price target because it's definitely relatively limited. They do have an antibody. I uh, I don't have the name of it, but if uh the antibody looks interesting uh it's uh it should prevent adhesion which would reduce vaso-occlusive crises and uh if they do see positive data with that that would obviously change things but uh, i definitely i i did make a open a position after this news came out and uh, i'm going to hold them for for a while so great news for global blood uh i made a wrong call but uh that's how it goes right definitely everybody who watches this should do their own due diligence and uh, only take what i'm giving you here as a, as uh, information only and not advice. So another thing that happened was uh, Moderna, which is a, an interesting company, had a record uh, IPO, and then it crashed about 20% on the first day. 
their uh, their treatments are, are relatively comparable to Ionis. Um, they're they're trying to put mRNA into cells and force your own native cells to produce the product of that mRNA. Kind of interesting, relatively basic uh, concept. There's nothing like wild here, except uh, you know that it works. And the real issues that they need to figure out are how to get the mRNA into the cell without the immune system degrading it, and uh, or without any sort of RNAs is degrading it. But there are interesting ways of doing it. And um, yeah, so they, they dropped a lot on the, the first day, but it's not super surprising given that, you know, the, the entire biotech sector is in turmoil right now. So I don't think it really means anything for their future. They have a ton of clinical programs. And given that it's mRNA, you know, you can buy an oligo from uh, a lot of companies right now, and it's very cheap. And obviously, they're, they have a more sophisticated way of producing it. And, uh, and a way of trying to get it into the target tissues properly. But oligos are very cheap, so it would be easy for them to create a new molecule for a different compound. So they have partnerships with uh, AstraZeneca, who owns a large um, portion of the company, I believe. But uh, yeah, so I thought that was interesting that they had this giant IPO and then it kind of kind of failed. But uh, it looks like, if I pull it up, we're seeing some support around 18, but with only about a week in uh, trading, probably less than that. Uh, it's hard to predict, but definitely an interesting company that I'm going to keep my eye on. Last thing I want to talk about regarding Ash was the bispecifics. So if anybody's noticed, I haven't talked very much about cancer, and that's because it's probably the sector, well, the the area that I'm the least comfortable with. So I'm, I'm putting that out there right now, but I think I'm going to make a resolution in 2019 to be more uh do some more research in the cancer area because i know there's a lot of companies that are completely focused on cancer and immuno-oncology has been a huge boom and uh, car t actually does a lot you know regarding cancer obviously but uh i've been doing some reading and at least in in uh what we saw in ash are these bispecifics that have come out which you know it's it's a very simple concept also but it's uh it's effective and basically it's an antibody that's, it's two antibodies that are tied together somehow, and the companies do it differently. So Amgen does their bite system, this bispecific T-cell uh, something, where it's, it's, they're modified antibodies, so they actually have a relatively short half-life in the blood, which is a challenge in and of itself, but also uh, it requires patients to, to be infused more. So I don't know from a, you know, treatment perspective if that's better or not, but I think it depends on the on the disease itself. Uh, Roche and Regeneron also have a, a, a different kind of bispecific, and uh, they they're unique in their own way. So um, I think that this is a Roche product, but they do a two to one format. So there's two uh, T cell receptors, so they bring more T cells um, per cancer cell that they're trying to to attach to. So the the concept is that sometimes uh, cancer cells can avoid the immune system by downregulating certain uh, receptors that they have. And the concept behind immuno-oncology in general is to facilitate bringing the host immune system to attack and destroy the tumor cells somehow. And whether that's using uh, some sort of PD-L1 or PD-1 antibody or using one of these bispecifics, you can force these uh, tumor cells to be noticed by T-cells, and these bispecifics use 
you know, CD3 antibody or uh, I guess CD3 is most of it. I think this TCB might be a modifi modified CD3, but that's obviously uh, binds to T cells. And these receptors, CD20, CD33, or BCMA, is supposed to bind to the tumor cell and uh, force these cells to interact, and then there can be proper uh, destruction of them, and it actually seems to work very well. So the Amgen 420 product saw an 83% objective response rate in multiple myeloma, which is really nice. Their uh, 330 product was pretty disappointing, so most patients discontinued because of disease progression in AML. So I think they're going to actually continue with this, which is surprising just given that most patients discontinued. So uh, I just, I don't know, I'm surprised that they would continue, but maybe just uh, they, they can afford it, I guess. But they're the first company to have a bispecific uh, approved for second line ALL uh, acute. Oh, I'll have to remember that one. But, you know, they're, they're bringing a decent amount of revenue per quarter uh, for this compound. So it's obviously, there's a, there's a lot of potential in these things. And they're, they actually might become a real competitor to CAR-T, given that the the revenues that are that are being generated for CAR-T are a little disappointing, I think, and I think a lot of patients are, you know, it's just a such more involved process, and it takes more resources for the companies to administer this, because they need to get the cells out, they need to ch modify the cells in a decent amount of time, and then put the cells back in. So I think that uh, antibodies... They're, they're obviously a lower burden for the company itself. And if they can show uh, comparable or better effects in, in patients for these diseases, they might be preferable to the CAR-T therapies. So uh, that's why when I go back to thinking about FATE, they're pr producing an off-the-shelf product that could actually be very competitive to these antibodies if uh, it's effective. So uh, other uh, compounds here. So there's two Roche compounds, this Mosentuzumab, uh, which showed a, a nice response, and a Regeneron product that showed a nice response in, a, in another phase one study. So these are also relatively early studies, uh, so it'll take some time for them to show, um, show good data in, in a larger patient population. So that's, a, that's what I have for ASH. If I uh, do a quick uh, portfolio wrap-up, it has been... Um, it's been rough out there. The Nash companies continue to be hammered for reasons that I, I don't have. Uh, I keep adding Viking, but I'm running out of money, so uh, I stopped adding, but they're they're down quite a bit here. Uh, Amune is down on relatively no news. They, they released uh, an article on their therapy uh, a while ago now, I think, but uh, so I'm not too sure. Spirion continues to hang out around the 50 to 53 area, which is good. Uh, Lumina continues to go up, and they're probably one of the safer ones. So definitely these companies that have giant monopolies are, are the safest ones right now, I would say. Uh, Fate, like I've talked about, is up quite a bit. Then uh, the gene therapy companies, uh, Spark, Bluebird, where else? Oh, yeah, Sangamo, uh, Sarepta. Sarepta's not down too much, but definitely the uh, Spark, Bluebird, Sangamo, they're down quite a bit, but I'm, uh, I'm holding on to them. Uh, what else here? Yeah, so I haven't touched on Amarin. Not really much news for Amarin uh, coming out, but uh, they're probably just going to follow the um, the XBI until there's some sort of dramatic uh, catalyst that comes up. And then here's my uh, global blood um, position. And yeah, so I made some money on XBI options, which is probably the only reason why I'm doing a little bit better than the S&P 500. But uh, volat volatility continues to increase. 
So, you know, we should expect a lot of wild swings in uh, in both the, the entire sector as well as the XVI. So we'll see. But uh, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. So thank you guys all for watching very much. I, uh, I'm going to go back to doing a weekly video once uh, things get a little bit less hectic for me. But uh, with that, uh, thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.